It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast brought to you by the South Carolina Department of Education's personalized learning team. Let's jump into today's episode. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Beach. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is William Ash, and he is a teacher at Batesburg Leesville High School. So William, thank you for being here. I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Well, um, thank you for having me. Um, you know, as as said, my name is uh, William Ash, and I just wrapped up my sixth year teaching. All of them have been at uh, the best high school in the state of South Carolina, Batesburg Leesville High School. Um, I'm really happy to be there, and I'm happy to be able to talk about some of the um, exciting stuff that we're doing. Awesome. Now, tell us what exactly do you teach? So I am a social studies teacher and I'm the department head for the high school social studies department. Um, I've got a lot of years teaching. Well, I don't have a lot of years teaching in general, but of the years I have been teaching, I've mostly done U.S. history and American government slash economics. So tell us a little bit about how you got to where you currently are in teaching. How did your practice start off? and kind of take us through the journey of how you arrived to where you are currently. Well, like a lot of new teachers, I started my first year really thinking I knew what I was doing and then learned even quicker that I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And so luckily for me, I had a really, really great admin team. Um, Dr. Era Roberts was our instructional leader, assistant principal, and then our head principal, Sonia Bryant. And they had they were working on sort of started fiddling around with this idea of personalized learning. And there was a, a knowledge works uh, was a group out of Ohio was doing some sort of intro level um, in service sort of teacher work days to help teachers start to grapple with this stuff. And um, in my first year, I was chosen by that admin team to go and kind of be a part of that. So um, luckily for me, I just had a really, really great leadership team that was very patient and very understanding and help sort of grow, uh, help me grow uh, to the point where I kind of am today and continuing to grow. Now, in terms of uh, personalized learning and student-centered learning in general, what mindset shifts did you feel you had to make through the years in terms of shifting from maybe being teacher-centered to student-centered? Talk a little bit about the mindset shift there for you. I think the the thing that I was fortunate was because I was so new, I, you know, my principals said, we're going to do this. And I was like, well, yes, ma'am. So I didn't have like a big shift to make in terms of, cause I didn't have a teaching identity yet. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my strength, even in my, you know, student teaching has always been, you know, or what I want it to be is building relationships with kids. And so, um, that really never changed. And when that's kind of your guiding principle, I think making it student centered makes the most sense. Um, you know, and, and it's not it's not an overnight thing and it's not super easy. Um, there are still days in my classroom that aren't teacher or that are not student centered, that are more teacher centered. I don't think it's ever a thing where you could say I'm done with this. I've done it like I've, I've mastered it. I think it's a continuum. It's mm-hmm. a thing that I'm continuing trying to add. You know, I'll reflect on a thing or a day or a lesson and say, well, I could have done it this way instead. And so we'll do that. And so just making those little changes, it's 
you know, it's kind of making it your North star, your guide, and then trying to fill in those gaps and make those changes little bit by little. I think anybody out there who might be listening, if you're thinking about personalized learning and if you try to do everything overnight, I think you're just, you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, those, it's a gradual shift that I'm still in the process of making um, every day. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that we always tell people to, you know, it's very important to think big about big picture once you want to see, but then start small and then scale from there. So I love that idea of the fact that this isn't a one and done, just like learning is never a one and done. There's always something new you can learn and gain as the years go by. So that's awesome. We're in the middle of our series that we're calling Flexibility Within Fences, where we're um, hoping to share stories and just kind of unpack some of the potential barriers to implementing student-centered learning practices. And with that in mind, um, many times we hear teachers and leaders who are wondering how it's possible to personalize student learning when there's so much content to cover, right? So how would you respond to someone with this concern? To kind of tackle what you talked about at the beginning, you know, I it's one thing I tell my students all the time is just like, to reject this sort of like cynicism. So like, I really have a hard time when I'm engaging with people about any part of teaching and they, they come into the conversation very cynical already of whatever it is we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just holds everybody back. And so keeping that open mind about what can be done is like, I think the first thing is like understanding there are going to be limitations. There are constraints. There are fences. I love that, that use by you guys of fences, but that we're going to, we're going to put in the work and do what we can. So I think rejecting like cynicism and being open to that change has to be the first step. You have to get people in your building. You have to get the kids in your classroom on board with this being different. And then you can go from there. Um, I think that for me, like there's so, so U.S. history, there's so much U.S. history content. Mm -hmm. I was never covering all the content anyway in a more traditional setting. And so the light, the light switch for me was, you know, we're doing U.S. history. We're trying to get through all this content. Our kids are taking this uh, end of course examination. They're not doing really well on it. And this was like a two and three year cycle. So it's like, okay, well, if this way we've been trying to do it isn't working, then then for me, it was really easy to get on board with um, trying something new because the way we've been doing it hadn't been getting results anyway. So if doing it the normal sort of more traditional way, I'm not able to even get through all the content, um, then then why not be willing to try something different to see if we can create better better learners and better results? Um, I don't like to be a results sort of like test score oriented person. Um, but you know, I know that again, that's one of the fences, right? That's one of the sort of the realities, especially for a lot of social studies teachers. They're very concerned about that test. Yeah. I love that response. And so how do you go about ensuring that all of your students are successful? Like what paint a picture for us? What's your classroom like? Um, especially at the high school level? I believe that every student has the opportunity to be successful at all times. So it starts with that sort of baseline is that I believe in each and every one of them when they come into the room. Um, Now, the choices that they make throughout the course of the semester and school year are going to dictate their level of success, but giving them every opportunity to be successful is important to me. So like, I don't have due dates. Um, I'm not, I'm not assessing how quickly they can understand a concept or I'm not assessing their ability to meet a deadline. I'm assessing, assessing whether or not they've mastered this knowledge. And so whether that's, um, you know, the day I say it's quote unquote due or two weeks later, 
or at the end of the term, if they've done the work and it's to the standard, then then that's their grade. Um, that is that's that's a mindset shift, um, especially because you know that's been left up to each individual teacher in our building. So that's not a universal thing. And so there, you know, kids have to be able to wrap around that, right? So not only is personalized learning personalized for each kid in our building, but it's also personalized for each teacher and how they're going to tackle things, you know? And if I was teaching math, I might have to have set due dates because of the way math builds, you know? So I think we're a little bit um, free in, 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 with our content in social studies that we can be a little bit more generous with that. Um, you know, giving opportunities multiple chances to attempt to display their mastery, I think, is one way that we give every every kid an opportunity to be successful. Um, and then also understanding what does success look like for each individual, right? So, you know, student A, you know, I, I've I've gotten to know them over a few weeks or whatever, and I know that you know they want to go to a four year college and they have these really big um, aspirations and dreams. And so, you know, what looks like success for them might be different from student B, who you know, doesn't have a ton of intrinsic motivation, is kind of trying to get by. Um, they, they they already know that they're going to go work in the family business or they're going to go do this. And so um, what does success look for each of those individuals can't be the same because their goals aren't the same. So um, understanding, you know, meeting students where they are in order to help them grow, understanding what success needs to look like for every student or every group of students, um, you know, with with class sizes as big as they are in some parts of the state, I think it would be difficult to tell teachers they have to have sort of this like hyper individualized thing. But you can group students based on on, on similarities and finding out what looks like a success for each of them, I think, is is key. So let me play the other side of the fence based on something you just said. So you mentioned um, the practice of giving students enough time to master a skill, which we're definitely fans of here in our office. What would you say to someone who says, well, if you leave that much flexibility, then it's not going to prepare them for the real world. If there's not any deadlines or X, Y, Z, then how are they going to be prepared for the quote unquote real world? How might you respond to that? I would ask if that was another teacher, I would ask them if they mastered every aspect of teaching their first year. Or if they were given a chance to try things again, you know, how many times have you been observed and given pointers on how to improve your craft and not just thrown to the wayside? You know, mm. I think that there's nothing wrong with giving people grace. I think the world is better when we do that. And I think most jobs out in the quote unquote real world involve that sort of learning on the fly and that grace and that chance to correct and get better. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that that seems like we're really starting to stack up all the things teachers are being asked to do. You know, so, OK, so I need to teach them this history content. I need to teach them skills. But now I also need to teach them, you know, these intricate parts of being a part of the quote unquote real world. And, you know, at, at some point, that's a heavy burden. That's a heavy lift for teachers. And so, you know, maybe we maybe we could just, you know. Show some grace to teachers in terms of trying to figure out everything that they're supposed to that we're supposed to do, you know, um, and remember that at the end of the day, while we do want to prepare kids for the real world, while they're in our building, they really are still just kids. Um, and, and maybe it's not up to us to try and hammer down every, comp, you know, every complex life lesson in our semester. You know, that that's kind of where I'm at on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. With teaching at EOC course, as you mentioned before, sometimes there can be two sides. There's that feeling to prepare students for the EOC test versus just preparing students to be successful in whatever that content is, period, or in general. So how do you find the balance between those two worlds? 
my sort of thought is that most of the kids in our classes are walking around with the most um, sophisticated supercomputers that the world has ever known, right, in their pocket, these cell phones that can do all these things. And so, you know, as we as we move towards, like, the skills-based approach, how how important is it that a student has it memorized, you know, the causes of the War of 1812 when they could simply Google that at any time, right, to pull up that that discrete piece of information, that fact. Whereas if you teach them a skill, how to compare, how to understand causation, how to understand periodization, these historical thinking skills, then hopefully that those are things that reach beyond just U.S. history and they can use that beyond the classroom. So um, while while there is a fence, right, with the test and, and we have to do our due diligence so that um, our students um, are as prepared as possible for that test, personally, it can't guide my practice because I don't think that that is what is going to prepare them for being 21st century citizens, right? Like the South Carolina profile of the high school graduate talks about. And so I'm going to focus on those big picture things that I think are important and hopefully, um, hopefully um, give my students sort of enough of a, of a, of an understanding that they can find success on that test. But I think if we start trying to simply teach through a test, especially a test that we have no input in, that we never get to see, um, that changes every year, I think that you're sort of just like chasing a rabbit, uh, and really struggling. So I kind of aim higher than that and hope that by aiming higher, we also kind of hit what we need to for the test. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting in our work, um, as we just, gotten to know so many teachers in schools around the state who are taking this student-centered skills-based approach to learning is that when we focus on, you know, those, those pieces around um, teaching, not just content, but skip coupling skills with that as well, we see that students are performing higher on tests and things like that. So I love that you spoke to just um, that skills piece of it, because sometimes that does get lost um, in translation. So yeah. With that being said, how have your leaders supported you through this journey? I know at the beginning of our conversation, you gave huge shout outs to your leaders and and how they, you know, were able to support you. Uh, tell us a little bit about that support and what kind of barriers did they help remove for you as you're continuing to learn and growing your practice? The leadership in my school, you know, Sonia Bryant is our principal. She's transitioning to a district-wide leadership role. And then Dr. Era Roberts, who was our assistant principal in charge of instruction, she's, she's actually transitioning to a role at another school district. So, um, But those two um, together really, really put the emphasis on trying to figure out what would be best for our kids. And so really put the challenge on us as teachers to um, – to, to, um, to figure out what works best for the kids in your room. Um, and they gave us the flexibility to do that. They encouraged us to, to, you know, push our own, you know, boundaries of, or of, of, of comfort and, and things like that. And, um, and then also did a really good job of highlighting and, and sort of, you know, praising, I don't really like that, but, um, but really, you know, giving nice positive shout outs to those who were trying those things um, and giving us an opportunity to go in each other's rooms and see what things look like and um, getting to go around and, and see, you know, I was able to go, uh, my district leadership brought me and another teacher to Wisconsin last summer. So I was able to go see another school and see what they're doing and, you know, really encouraging us to like think outside the box and think of new ways that we can bring things into our school. 
So I just think that like the trust in us as professionals to do the job, the, I, I never have ever felt pressure from my admin team to get high scores on the EOC ever. Um, and so I think that really goes a long way. Um, and, and, um, so, you know, encouraging us, uh, trusting us, um, and, and sort of giving the shout out when, when the work is in progress and allowing other people to see that is, has been really key, you know, um, just their support, right? Understanding that it's going to be messy and it's going to be there's going to be challenges. Um, but I always, I never once felt like they didn't have my back. That's awesome. What other advice would you give educators who are seeking to try out more student-centered practices in their buildings or classrooms? So when I was first, you know, messing around with all this personalized learning stuff five years ago or so, I kept wanting to see it. Like, oh man, somebody just showed me what they're doing. You know, so teachers were great. I am personally, because I'm a great thief. Like I'll find something somebody else is doing and I'll take it and, and, and put it in my classroom. And I really wanted to see that and see that and see that. And how can I just, and then last year when we were in Wisconsin, we were talking and there was another social teacher from the school that we were visiting. And his big advice for everybody um, that I loved was to take the ingredients and not the recipe. And I, I think about that a lot. Like it's very difficult to map and take exactly what some other school or district or teacher is doing because it may not, especially personalized, because it may not work with you or your kids. And so pulling the small pieces, the ingredients of what's being done, and then building the recipe that works for you is is really the biggest advice that I can give. Um, that and don't try to do everything all at once. Absolutely. I love that advice. Thank you again for joining us. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know that our listeners have too. If there's any way that um, anyone can get in touch with you or stay up with your journey, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? Probably my email address, um, which is um, wash. So my first letter, my first name, William. So wash, W-A-S-H, and that's my last name, at Lex3, the number. So it's L-E-X, the number three, dot org. Um, I have a Twitter account, but I, I am not on Twitter a lot. So okay. it's probably not the best way to get me. But the email, I, I check my email several times a day. So that's probably the best way to get at me. And I've got tons of stuff, man. I've got... I've got docs and I've got assessments and pre-assessments and I've got folders and I'm happy to share everything I have with anybody who might be wanting to either start this journey or tweak or anything like that. Yes. Thank you for that. So if you're hearing now and you're in social studies, please hit William up. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Personalized Learning team by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!